The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 47 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is my good friend, Steve Bidwell. Steve is in the band Black Pumas, which has been blowing up around the world. They've been selling out tours all around the world in the U.S. They've been playing every award show and every TV show imaginable. They're Grammy nominated. They played Joe Biden's inauguration. They sold out um, stubs down in Austin for four days in a row, which has never been done before. The mayor of Austin even proclaimed May 7th as Black Pumas Day. So it's been a, I mean, their first album only came out in 2019. So it's been a three year, just crazy ride. So this conversation focuses a little bit on, you know, dealing with life on the road and how the music has changed and evolved over time. Uh, Just his gear maintenance and dealing with one-offs and What's it like to What's it like to play on an award show? Um, Steve is a good friend of mine. We've known each other since college, so it's great to catch up with him. Hopefully, you gleaned some some things to take to your gigs from this conversation. He's also a great wealth of knowledge on just music in general. So check it out. Here we go, Steve Bidwell. Well, tell me what you're doing in Nashville. Um, we are here making an appearance on the CMT Awards tonight. Um, it's kind of in a couple weeks we're taping crossroads and that's where they bring together two artists that maybe don't have a lot in common so we're going to do an episode with mickey guyton and she's a young female country star i have no idea how that connection was made but um you know whatever keeps the tv checks coming in should be cool what is um what are you playing on the CMT Awards? Seems kind of a strange pairing. It is a strange pairing, but we're we're playing our song "Colors." But Mickey is singing a few of. She's sharing the verses with Eric, so I guess she was really into the band and really into the song and wanted to team up with us. It's uh, it's kind of crazy. There's pyro involved. We've never had pyro. Just <laughs> You'll push this out after the fact, so I can say that I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> Man, you got to tell me how this stuff works, like these award shows and stuff. Do you get a chance to rehearse, or is it just a line check? How do you? How does it come together? Um, this seems to be a more rehearsal than others. Uh, like they flew us in Saturday, we rehearsed the song. That, that was like a run through probably four or five times. And that meant we were off here yesterday. And then today there will be a dress rehearsal and then the actual show. So um, that seems like even more prep than we had at the Grammys. That was not this past year, but the year before. Uh, like with the Grammys... It was weird because it was the the first bad COVID year where they couldn't really have an audience, but they had the ceremony anyway. So that was like uh, four bands in the round. And I remember, I don't want to give away all the TV magic, but like we watched Harry Styles do his song three times and then uh, Billie Eilish did her song three times and then 
the Heim sisters did their song three times, and then uh, they watched us, or they watched a video of us, or I don't know. Everybody left, and then we did our song three times. So we got to sit through them, but they didn't have to sit through us. I don't. I'm not grumbling. It was just odd. I don't. Don't think I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. <laughs> kind of different. But, Do you have to uh, play to a click or something when you're doing TV? Um, only if they ask for it. I'm trying to remember. I, I don't think so. None of the ones we've done so far. And this band is like, we don't have tracks, so we really don't play to a click most of the time. Although that live album that got us the Grammy nominations, that that was all to a click and it was decided very last minute to do so like like 10 minutes before downbeat oh shoot somebody <laughs> said yeah and we i don't think we had we had not gotten like proper in ears yet but i just happened to have my my generic sure whatever they had bought me um and I, the singer was really into making films at the time so he wanted it like to be synced up right so that whole record it was kind of weird um because it was in capital studio a which is you know there's just a bit of history there and uh the guy says i'm gonna like i plug in and the guy says i'm gonna pull up some levels for you uh, just let me know if you need anything and uh all i heard was like this beautiful bass drum sound the decay of that room and uh it's like i don't i don't need anything <laughs> beautiful this is like all those expensive preamps and everything i was like this is amazing i don't I have the best mix i've ever had what the anyway um kind of bizarre did uh that's kind of crazy i mean imagine the songs had their own ebb and flow before that so what what did you notice as you were tracking like oh shoot this is way feels way faster than normal or something yeah i mean like a, a lot of the songs do stay pretty steady but i know like the one that got nominated for best rock performance that one breathes a bit um like if i were gonna program a click for it you know it would I would like probably jump one BPM on the choruses and then back down for the verses. But then when you get to like the outro, it would probably go up three or four clicks by the end of it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that wasn't there. Um, like there's, and there's just, you know, live energy to all of it. So it's, it's kind of weird to program that anyway. Like, it's different every night like we don't we don't have tracks so we're kind of like bar band style like we even took forever to switch to in ears which has been a godsend most nights mm -hmm. anyway we just using wedges before we did use wedges for a long time but i mean as the stages get bigger and you're really start to discern that you need and want to hear everything very well i mean like i feel like like two years on the road we were like no nah, no nah, we'll just stay with wedges and then somebody got them and was like oh i can i can really hear everything now and 
if our monitor, our, mo- our main monitor engineer will like, they'll throw a bunch of compression on my stuff so I can kind of play against the compressors like I would in the studio. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. What is, um, where's your gear? Like for this show, is it your gear or is it all rental gear? This is a rental, uh, like we have a locker in Austin. There's been talk of just keeping a set in Nashville of everything. So, I mean, I have that one road kit and that I don't have to worry about the logistics of any of this. It's just, it gets there. And then um, uh, I'm with Gretsch, so I'm easily taken care of quite well with backline when I get there. Um, sometimes there will be, because, you know, DW is the parent company now. That was the dangest thing in South America. Two nights in a row I had, like, a DW Bell Brass. Like, I'd never tried those out, and I was like, oh, um gonna have to take a picture and ask him for the price on this six and a half this is pretty baller <laughs> this is pretty amazing touch um so i mean i i like the variety i'm sure my front of house guy would prefer i at least traveled with a snare but like um i'm still accumulating enough grits drums to do that mm-hmm. so but usually i just travel with cymbals do you get any time on the kit before we're we're talking these these random one off appearances? Do you get any time on the kit beforehand? Uh, just briefly, and you kind of you kind of hope it it all works out. Um, it's like on my writer, I have all pretty lightweight, if not flat base hardware, just so I'm used to the the footprint that you're working with mm-hmm. when you set up with those. So like. All the super engineered double braced stuff, sort of. That's like the the number one. I fight that more than I fight tuning, mm. honestly. Like, like if you put even the student level Gretsch kit in front of me, I'll get, I'll be able to get a, a good sound out of all of it in a couple minutes, unless the heads are totally destroyed. But um, it, it's that's the weirdest thing that I fight with the hardware more than I fight with the actual drums. But, uh, and even, uh, like we travel with a backline tech a lot of the time. And I think one of his other main gigs is working with, uh, some, a pretty big, like California punk band. So like oftentimes I think he'll just spend more time on the guitars and I'll come in and I'll have this total pop punk set up. And I'm like, I, I don't, Buddy, I don't set up like this. Come on. Like everything flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a flat rack time, and I'm like, uh, I'm coming from coming from Jazz Town, buddy. Let me um, start it. That's what I end up doing more than anything. Um, but uh, if you put me in front of even the most, if you you could put me in a Gretsch Energy kit, and I would figure out the sound in a couple minutes. But um, what are your tweaks? What that you're most often doing? Um, as far as tuning or tuning or whatever you're dampening, whatever you're doing to get it to the vibe. Um, I became addicted to those roots EQ rings Mm -hmm. of various 
thicknesses. They got the new lighter weight ones. I like I like one of those on the main snare, and usually the thicker one or the bandana on the aux snare. I mean, I think with the bass drum, like as long as I get usually if they if they have one of those DW pillows and it's hitting both sides of the head, that's about enough. Uh, muting for me and then uh on snares and kicks too i think i read this from a dave maddox interview you should interview him by the way he's awesome uh he, he just said you detune the four lugs facing you so um i'll do that on a kick drum too just like the top four lugs like, I'll get it kind of even and then detune the top four lugs and it'll get a big, deep sound. And then, um, like, the main snare is kind of the... That's supposed to be versatile. So, like, I'll even, like, leave that almost even all the way around, probably medium, medium, high tension. And then maybe in the beginning of a show, if we're playing a whole show, I'll detune one lug. And then there's there's a song October thirty three where I need an Al Jackson Jr. kind of sound. So then I'll detune the four, probably also detune a Tom lug. I'm talking like mid show changes. Mm-hmm. Then the ox snare is supposed to be kind of a a Clyde Jabo vibe, so that's usually pretty cranked and pretty dry. Um, and I think usually between the two of those, I can get, you know a whole good realm of like hip hop ish snare drums. So that's the the rationale there. And then um usually I have a thirteen and a sixteen. Um I'm still sorting like precise intervals that I like. Sometimes it comes out as a sixth and it mm-hmm. sounds fine. Sometimes it's uh an octave and maybe the snare drum will meet it in the middle. Um, like I'm not, I'm not going to go full Kenny Sherritt's on that thing and take out a pitch pipe or nothing. Like it's just, it has to, if it feels good and it's making a, a good sound, then I'll just run with it. And I mean, even yesterday we get to this rehearsal and, uh, they just, they were clearly waiting on me at certain points. So I was like, I need to get this going. I just I'll get whatever functional sound I can get. I'll tweak it when no one's looking later. But, uh, I mean, the root TQs do help a lot. I started using those during a, a South by Southwest festival a couple of years ago. Cause you'll just show up to the most awful backline kits that week. I'm not naming names, but I have certain PT, PTSD against certain brands that seem to show up more often than not in Austin during music week. Um, but it just, it made my life easier because that's like a three minute throw and go everywhere you are. So, um, and so much of my life ends up that way where you don't have too much time to prep. Mm. Do you get the floor time like pretty much as low as it can go or do you, how do you, where do you start? Um, like I'll start with about as low as you can go and then maybe up 
like almost not even an eighth of a turn mm. around. You know, like so. Firstly, the lugs are about as tight as you could get them, just by you know finger tight. And then um, I'll go up a little from there, and mm. if it starts to sound choke, I'll just back off. And there's usually a lot of stretching and punching and things like that. Um, and then inevitably I end up uh, I feel like I spend more time on the bottom snare heads than the top snare heads usually interesting I mean I don't want to make sweeping generalizations about backline companies but it's like sometimes you fly in and it's like well these are very nice drums but these heads were put on by a keyboard player mm-hmm. so it's like I'll just I'll have to fix the things <laughs> is the bottom head usually like barely on or something yeah or uh you know the two the four lugs right around the snare mechanism are always either completely loose or mismatched with the rest of the drum so mm. um i mean i i could work fast enough on whatever kit you throw me at it's just uh it's not full-on bane of my existence but uh it does take, take some time I'm sure I make some some nasty faces, some load-ins. <laughs> you said you travel with cymbals? Yeah. A whole set um, or just the, the essentials? Just a, a whole set. I'm not using a... All I take now is a... Well, hats, a ride, and like two 20-inch... So I guess the left side is a 20-inch carop, so some people would call that a ride. Mm-hmm. I recently got a 20-inch K... What are they called? They were new to me at the time. Oh, Cluster Crash. Jeez. Uh-huh. Okay. I don't, I don't know how I missed those for so long, but like, I, I, I wanted something that was a little dirty, but not full China dirty so mm. it's just got a little a little bit of grit to it so um that that's good for the more explosive crashes and then uh i switched for, i mean i have somewhere that the backline crew told me like you need uh you need two symbols two sets of symbols like ideally i'm supposed to have two sets of everything for flyouts and whatnot <clears throat> but um so I got a set that is like slightly lighter and slightly smaller. Like for the first year and a half I was with Zildjian, I was I had the 16-inch Avidas hat and I got the 15-inch Karops instead. So uh, just a lighter option all around. And like if we're going to go play a shed or something, then like, the 22 carob medium makes more sense than the 22 carob regular. So, mm-hmm. like, even if it's only 400 grams, like, it's it's just a, a different vibe for different rooms. And also physically lighter if I have to wear it on my back through airports for miles and miles. So, right. <laughs> um, weird, random considerations. <laughs> So what do you have? Two bags at home, a light bag and a heavy bag. Yeah, I got I got the Zildjian hard case. Those are really 
really dope. Uh, somewhere I have a mono bag uh, that's usually loaded for local gigs at home. Okay. What other um, what other things do you travel with? Any creature comforts or necessities for you? Um, I've been big on the reflex pad since about when that came out. Uh, I, I've sort of gotten into a, a regular warm up routine. It's more of a an aerobic thing than it is a trying to build or find chops like. Uh, so if I didn't have that and, uh, oh man, I don't, so I found this one random pair of sticks. My theory is they're like, like a signature of a pipe band drummer or something. They're not, they're either really stupid big drum set sticks or they're, uh, pipe band sticks, I think, cause I got them at a, a backline shop in London and, uh, like I sent Dave Phillips, the the Euro DW Gretsch guy, I sent him a picture because he's kind of nerdy about these things and nobody has any idea what they are. Oh, weird. They're, they're Vic Firth. They're, they're kind of big. They're sort of like the contour of the... Do you remember the Dennis DeLucia marching stick? Those were oh, yeah. stupid. Anyway, those are... That's like my warm-up stick of choice that okay. I will never, ever find again. Uh... But, uh, what is the routine? I um, I think I might have blogged about this. It's, it starts with like a modified stone killer. So, mm-hmm. put the metronome on around 60, 62, 64. And, um, you don't just do 4, 8, 16. You do, I'll do 4, 6, 8, 12, 16 on a hand and then um once i get to 16 i start adding accents so i'll do like uh downbeats then displace until i get through and then i'll just turn that into like a tap accent clave exercise so i'll play different Mm -hmm. claves as a tap accent thing and then um let me think after that there's usually I'll do like nines and seventeens as singles. So single nine and seventeens, kind of like the hug a dug a bird that we used to do in drumline back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, man, we haven't even talked about our past, Michael. Jeez. <laughs> That'll all be in the oh, intro. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll do that from like lately. I, I I'll get from like 88 to 100 and I bump it up a few clicks at a time. And then, then if I've got time, I'll do like, I still do a few random like drumline exercises that we used to play back in the day. Um, just what was that one? I think it's called, it was not a Curry Seymour exercise. I think it was a Marty Hurley Crossman exercise. Uh, DBL diddles still do that. Mm. That's good for for inner beats on either hand. I find, um, and uh, I'll, I'll just mess around with things like uh, 
like flams and flams have some patty flop laws in random order but with with a click so and i mostly use the regular tempo app uh, for all of that but that'll be like a, a half hour on an average day maybe if i'm really lucky i'll get an hour mm-hmm. um, is that pretty much every day I try when I'm home and my son is taking precedence over my needs, like not every day, that's for sure. But usually it's part of my pre-show routine and, um, random non-click idea. Uh, we had an opener on most of our Europe run named Pachi man. And, uh, he's like a dub guy. So, the tempos I was usually starting my warm up at were like dub tempos, so I, I made this random dub warm up playlist. So, like the time is there, but it's a little more nebulous, so it has to you have to pick it out. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll pull that up instead of like an actual click, just to just to make me consider the feel and everything. Um, That's cool. I thought you were going to say yeah, you warm uh, up on the side of the stage while he's playing. <laughs> no, I I remember in like Manchester, I warmed up under the stage while he was playing. And that's where I kind of, it's just the only quiet place I could find. Like, and, and honestly, I mean, the, the warm up I do is like, it's just to get, get the arms stretched out and like make sure I can go through all the motions I need to go through. Um, it's also as much like a meditative kind of thing. Like mm. a singer goes off and meditates by himself before shows. Like this is kind of like my thing, getting getting me thinking about time and all of that. Does that help with um, any kind of adrenaline rushes you might get on some of these bigger venues? Yeah, it does. It does make me more conscious of it. So, like if I have to steer things or hold things back. Uh, at least at least I've sort of thought about it already so I mean I know like at this point in the current show the tendency of certain parts to speed up or whatever so I kind of need I know where I need to hold things back or maybe allow things to push a little bit mm-hmm. do you have discussions about tempos is it like let's let's bump this song up a bit or is that just evolving uh, rarely, like once in a while I might get a note like, uh, uh, that one sounded a little, just a little hot last night and it's like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. I, I had espresso instead of Red Bull before the show. <laughs> so Does a note come from anyone in the band or is it front of house? What's the, who's monitoring? Um, uh, usually just Adrian, Adrian Casada. he's the guitarist producer so yeah if he's and once in a blue moon eric has had a, a tempo qualm and it's it seems rare honestly i mean mostly we all know how the show should sound and uh i don't think we want to be robotic about it mm-hmm. like it's supposed to, supposed to be live music played by live people and there's always room for push and pull do you reference a click at the start, or is it all, all muscle memory at this point? All muscle memory at this point. I mean, maybe 
Like I foresee myself on the next album, maybe triggering samples, mm-hmm. but I can't. I have a hard time imagining this group being like dependent on Ableton or anything like that. I, I just don't. I don't think that's the vibe, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. So. You guys have been touring for seems like nonstop for a couple of years now, pretty much. Has the have the songs changed since the beginning? Have they evolved over time? Oh yeah, um, I mean we'll we'll get as bored as any other band would get, you know. Like, let's change this up, or let's uh, let's try running this one right into this one. I mean, we're not we're not so sick of the songs or anything that we're turning the the hit the hits into a medley yet. Right, <laughs> people, people doing that's like like I don't want to. Like, I'm sick to death of the hit. We're going to medley these suckers, and it'll be over in three minutes. Um, no, nah, maybe we'll, we'll do little changes or add intros or segue things from one to the other. So, Do you have to decide on that ahead of time? Because I think when I saw you guys, there was a fair amount of light, light show involved. So do you have to like settle that up ahead of time, or is it all fly by see your pants? Uh, I mean, there's always a set list ahead of time once in a blue moon we'll make an audible and switch something or cut something maybe because of time or because of whatever but uh our our main lighting tech is so scary fast on picking up those changes i don't i have no idea how she does it Mm. um like it's not even like we say something in a talk back like oh by the way we're cutting this like it's just it goes, and she's like, oh, and she pushes some buttons, and it's all fixed. <laughs> but it's nothing like, uh, who did I see? We saw Tame Impala a couple weeks back, and he had this Pink Floyd-level giant laser donut hanging from the ceiling light show. And I was like, I don't know how much of that show was live or not. And I'm like... I will totally, like, I don't care if you're playing live because that light show was that amazing. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> we're, we're not to that point or anything. But, um, <laughs> but it's, like I said, it's, it's a few steps. It's kind of just a, like, we could do this in any club anywhere. So it's not like we're relying on, syncing up to films or anything crazy like that yet right how are your chops feeling do you feel like they've hit a hit a stride or are you currently seeking to improve anything um i am sure there's a lot i need to improve mostly um i think about random things like uh just posture and uh Mm. I mean, I am, I'm doing the single nines and 17s because I'd like to work on like cleaning, like playing faster, cleaner, I guess. Um, when I actually need it, I mean, this is, this is not a band where I play a ton of fills. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm, thankfully no one's asked me to play a solo yet. Uh, but I mean, I, I have other projects to get the, chopsy chops out of out of my system um 
I don't know. Nothing. I just, I, I'd like to play more consistently, like everyone would just be able to, you know, like you try to tell a student to play the same group for three minutes with no fills or something like that. Like mm-hmm. my, my, my mind wanders annoyingly quick when I try to do that with myself. So just things like that. And like when I look back and study video, I'm like, uh, like I take a look at my hands and like how I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. And, um, actually that's a weird thing. I don't know where this came from. And I've rationalized it by, I found a Kenny Arnoff clinic video where he talks about how like his thumbs kind of fly off the stick. It's almost like as a self-preservation thing when he's playing all those backbeats with the left hand, um, like his thumb is off the stick when he hits the backbeat, or at least, at least as I'm remembering it right now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I just kind of self-policing for not having this flying thumb. I don't know where it came from. Although I watched a video of Fela's drummer, Tony Allen. He totally did it. Interesting. So I don't, and I, I know I'm not the only one doing it. I have zero idea. I went to the same music school as you. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> like, I, I have like some memory of my first teacher kind of yelling at me about it. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't know if it's like my body, like trying to avoid any extra impact or whatever, but, uh, yeah. And I mean, that's if, like, what yeah, I, if it's not hurting you, right. If you're getting the sound you want, then I wouldn't mess with it. That's my, usually my barometer. If it's not hurting myself and I'm getting the sound I want, leave it. Yeah, since I don't, I started, like, I don't know if I caught it on a television appearance or just a, a random video for a radio station or something, but I was like, what is that and where where did I pick that up and uh, should I be addressing it? I don't, I'm like, when I grumble about it, I feel like I'm like, like my dad would used to grumble about his golf swing, like, you know, keep your head down, you know, like that kind of stuff. It's like turning into my old man with his golf game. But, uh, <laughs> I don't think it hurts the sound. I mean, if anything, I'm like just trying to let the stick do all the work, as much of the work for me. So like, um, and just creating the right sounds for whatever I'm doing. But I mean, those are the kind of things I police myself on. Uh, I'm not, not in this moment, like, studying out of any books or anything like mm-hmm. once in a blue moon i'll pull up a page in future sounds and just try to get my head back around that mm-hmm. uh, but uh i mean my chops are working for the gig i have as long as i have a good warm-up so forks drum closet nashville's full line drum store Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. 
Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. What are you, um, what are you listening to? What is your, your travel playlist of choice? Oh boy, um, a lot of dub, uh, who was this dude I was checking out, <clears throat> so I think it's a new release of, uh, I'm not, I don't listen to Zappa but two, three times a year, but, uh, they put out a whole box set of the mothers from 1971. So that's mm. like the Ainsley period. You know, everybody talks about Vinny and Terry, but Ainsley was a freaking bad dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that early stuff so is more a, rock and roll too. I, I just, I enjoy it better personally. Yeah. But there's like a, I swear it's, I think it's like a version of peaches from like a Pennsylvania state fair show or something. <laughs> and, uh, he's playing a lot more than he's, he plays on any other version. I was like, that's, that's kind of odd. And, um, <clears throat> fun fact about him or is the, the urban legend is, uh, there was a coin toss between him and Mitch Mitchell to be in Jimi Hendrix experience. So, wow. If he, I mean, if he had that gig, I don't, I don't know what I mean, would be. I'll be talking about him. Anyway, I don't. I still like, love that guy. I was real happy to find that. Um, you know, there was a nutty new Brad Meldow record I was checking out. I don't even know who plays drums on that. I think it's like a Rush tribute. I am probably really wrong. Um, there's a. We were checking out his, his name is Romare. I don't know what to call him. Um, yeah, and I mean, lots of hip hop all the time, especially when I'm out with this crew. That's kind of, it's like soul music. It's a little psychedelic and it's through. So you, I, I got to think more like a, like Rizzo or DJ Premier. Uh, I think one of my early instructions was think more Pete Rock than Hard Rock. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> out of my edict, and I'm I'm always revisiting that. And like, I, I'm the that obnoxious person who has to research every sample I hear and. Um, figure out what's coming from where anyway i mean and my son listens to tons of stevie wonder so all of that stuff all the time and tons of drum candy podcasts <laughs> who are your top three influences at the moment at the moment yeah, we're not going all time, but like if you had to sum it up the past few years, who would you say has shaped your, your sound the most? Um, man, this answer will change by the afternoon. <laughs> the answer will change three times by Thursday. Um, 
definitely Tony Allen. Um, I did. I still lead a an Afrobeat band in Austin. Uh, we're not super busy at the moment, but obviously that's that's a big thing. Uh, I I really like. I think I, I when I first got called for this band, I was in kind of a a soul rabbit hole, like really checking out different rhythm sections and things. Um, I think Willie Hall gets slept on a lot. Um, you would know him from like the Blues Brothers original movie. Yeah. That was him. But he was also, he was in the Bar K's and he was on a lot of the big Isaac K's records. Um, I think he's got, he has like a heavier footed approach like than a lot of the Memphis drummers. Okay. Um, it's weird. I just finished the, I read the Howard Grimes book a couple months ago and he didn't really get mentioned in there. But if you check out like his records on a, like there's a, a bar case record called black rock, like about that period. There's just a really, it's like a pocket, but it's a heavy pocket. Like mm. it's really worth checking out and kind of, it makes a lot of sense for this band. Um, so I definitely borrow his playbook a good deal. Uh, number three. Oh, man. I mean, all time, like, Cobham was a big deal. My, my first teacher was a big fusion nerd, so that got passed along. You know, just just like Zappa, I can't listen to him that often, so I don't know. But <laughs> I mean, what I, what I like is finding records where I'm like, that's that's him, but he's only playing like a hi hat, kick, and snare drum. Like, oh man, I don't know he, many of those. <laughs> you gotta hit me. With no, some. <laughs> no, like, the, but he did a he did a lot of sessions outside of what we know him for. So there's like. Oh, he's on the Donny Hathaway Roberta Flack record. I'm blanking on exactly which song, but hmm. he is not. He probably only has two toms and is not playing a million notes. And it's just <laughs> him. When he's doing the quiet, I should make a playlist of just Cobham just grooving and not playing the blurt, the blurt, the blurt, the thing. Um, <laughs> it exists. I mean, he plays a lot like that. He was on a lot of those CTI records. I have a weird thing for the CTI records. Mm. Um, anyway, there I go. Outing, outing myself as an early fusion person. <laughs> Tell me what, what you get out of Tony Allen. I feel like he's got some magic that is hard to comprehend. Um, man, I'm... I was terrible about picking this up when like I started an Afrobeat band, but his touch is, um, it's a very light, I think he uses a lot, played with a lot of fingers. Um, it's a very light touch and, um, it just has this amazing way of percolating and, uh, it's not super aggressive, but it's really controlling the whole thing. It's like, there's clearly, there's folkloric influence in there. Uh, he was really into Blakey. He made a Blakey tribute record towards the end. Uh, 
but uh, just his ability to really drive the band without with like not expending a ton of energy is pretty mm-hmm. amazing, and it just having it groove like a total freight train. Um, but I think his his touch is the biggest part. And then I was explaining to a student the other day, like like his ability to break it down, like. You know, like soul drummers, funk drummers will break it down on the one. His was just as simple as like one shot on a snare drum, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "We're back!" Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a masterclass. Um, there's a record I heard last year that was kind of the. I'll have to give it another listen. I was really into it for a minute. Uh, he did something with an artist, Joan, as a police woman. That's Joan Wasserman, uh, she used to be in a band called the Dam Builders, and I believe they did Jeff Buckley towards the end of his life. Um, but she collaborated with him. Uh, and at, for a minute, I was telling people that was like the best post Thalo record I heard him on, and I don't know how much editing was involved, but mm. like everything he does is on on display there, especially his really is really creepy crawly slow grooves like they're really worth examining i think um just as far as doing doing a lot with very little energy wise Mm -hmm. did you did you play along to those records when you first first get into the sound or is it just through listening um lots of listening and lots of trying to emulate and I don't know that I did a ton of transcription in the very beginning. I did some more later. Um, and I mean, for the first two or three years that Hard Proof existed, I tried to stay really faithful to what I thought he was doing or what the other... I mean, we didn't just play Nigerian music, so we, we would check it out, Ethiopian stuff, and I mean probably a broken record on this but just the the amount of different styles and everything going on in african pop music like it's it changes from town to town and if you figure there's like 80 spoken languages in nigeria or something uh, that's not an accurate number um but like there's an analog for how much pop music there is like so how many spoken languages there are it's just it's endless if you start studying it. Um, mm. But uh, specifically, uh, I tried to stay real faithful to that for a couple of years, and then I went and saw Femi Kuti, and I was like, okay, his drummer is not, I don't know his drummer off the top of my head, but he was not playing really light touch, and he seemed like he had checked out as much classic Afrobeat as he had, say, Tribal Tech or something. So I'm like, <laughs> You know, like it's okay. I think, I think I can let other things in during live shows, like maybe bordering on overplaying at some point. But um, I just realized I didn't need to stay one hundred percent faithful to this nineteen seventy five template that Tony had made. But um, I mean, that's at the root of all of it. So long story short, yes, I did play along to the records. 
<laughs> what is your A rig setup? Uh, the A rig is uh, the broadcasters. Uh, 22, 8 by 13. That's 14 by 22, 8 by 13, 16 by 16. Uh, I like the 6.5 by 14 aluminum. Mm -hmm. I have a 5 by 14, just chrome over brass, the classic one on the left side. That's kind of the main thing for this band. Uh, I just got the matching 7 by 14 snare. So I'm still to check that out. Uh, Is that going to get worked into the rig? Um, I'm thinking I'll try it at least during some in some rooms. Um, if I'm not crazy, every song that I played on the original record was a seven by fourteen, but it was a pork pie. Is mm -hmm. that the wood over brass? So it's a weird one. 16 mm. plies, but the middle one is brass. So, oh, right. Um, I remember those. I never played one. Um, if you find one, and it looks like the original, grab it, because I, I don't... But the, the, the shells came from an English builder. I think it was Carrera, and they don't exist anymore. Um, I should have kept the hickory one, too. Uh... Just because that was like the driest snare drum I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like punching a baseball mitt, like that, that kind of dry. Um, but I, I was like, I need, I want a seven by 14. I don't know why I didn't get a matching snare for this kit. Uh, a few times there was one specific backline kit in LA they sent out. And it had the matching snare. It was just a six and a half. And I was like, why did I not get this? This is, mm. this is perfect. Like, it's like hitting a tub of butter. So <laughs> I got the, the eight lug seven by 14. I also have a six and a half by 14, just regular bronze, which, you know, if we're in, if we're outdoors, I think I got a coated vintage emperor on it. It, uh, it's good if you need a little more volume or a little more sensitivity. Mm. And um, I don't. They're they're making Gretsch is making some really crushing metal snares these days. I want, I want all of them. <laughs> nice. What is the heads on the uh, toms and kick? Um, I'm mostly into uh, vintage ambassadors on toms, which. If I'm not crazy, that's just like one mil extra from a regular ambassador, but it's double ply. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really used to the feel on those. You probably told me about the uh, the Renaissance Power Stroke on the kick drum. I'm mm -hmm. really into the Renaissance Power Stroke on the kick drum. Um, with the, I like the fiber skin M patch in the middle, just for a little. A little extra contact sound, but not like Kevlar, you know. So it's just a little extra bit of. I didn't know that was a thing. They have a they have a calf skin one or a uh, fiber skin one. They do. I don't. That might have come with a. I like the fiber skin power stroke too. Um, 
I think if you buy a fiber skin power stroke, it does come with it. But uh, it's somewhere in the catalog. I promise it exists. <laughs> right. I'll usually, I, I travel with a few of those just for, for rental kits. Like if, if the kick head is warmed in or if it's a, if they give me like a clear power stroke three and that's too boingy or something, like I'll, I'll bust one out and leave it on the rental kit. But I find those helpful. What sticks are you using? Um, mostly the first Garibaldi's. Is that, like, a, is that a big stick? It's pretty long. It's like maybe 16 and three quarters. It's, it's mm-hmm. pushing 17 inches. Uh, I don't know where the thing with long sticks came from, but I kind of like them better. I also usually travel with you know, the Harvey Masons, not the old school Harvey Masons, but the Chameleon, which have a smaller tip. Mm-hmm. Um, also longer, but uh, maybe good if you want more a more articulate ride sound. That's a different vibe. And uh, I've also been checking out that new, I think they're called the American Jazz Series. I could be wrong. There's a few sizes of those I like. Just just for different cymbal sounds. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm in the studio, I will totally, if not always, play like one kind of stick in one size stick in one hand and one size stick in the other hand. Oh, really? Um, well, just sometimes one gets a better cymbal sound and one gets a better rim click or mm. the other way around or the tip isn't right. Um, I know you record a lot, so I know you know, like, you, you start examining the minutia of all of it. Uh, yeah, different different sounds for different different tracks and such. Do you do that live too, or you stick with the Garibaldi's? Um, I'm pretty used to the Garibaldi's live at this point. Sweet. Last question, which might turn to a few questions. What was your first snare drum? Oh, wow. Um, I guess it came with... There's two answers to this. The first kit I got was a Remo PTS kit. No uh, way. <laughs> well, okay. No, I mean, I had the Muppet kit. Everybody right. Everybody my age seems to have had the Muppet kit, which was technically a Noble and Cooley. Um, they made a lot of toy drums. But I split a Remo PTS with my brother. And while those were lovely, I have a hard time calling them actual drums. <laughs> because <laughs> like, you know that the heads clip on and you can't tune them and uh, I uh, I don't know I didn't I didn't have a teacher yet so no one was guiding me on that purchase but um, I mean it makes sense they don't have to tune them ever <laughs> right I mean it was uh, I have friends who like worked in New York in the 80s and they said they were great just because portability like you could you know, you take the heads right off, you nest the kit, and you, it's easier to take on the subway and all that. But um, uh, I, I can't actually call that my first kit because they weren't real drums. Um, 
Wait, that had a snare drum? That came with a snare? It did. It had a matching snare drum. And <laughs> once, once in a while, I will see one for sale and debate it, but I'm like, nah, no. Like, How did that work? Did it, same thing, the head clipped onto a, like a, what, a four-inch? The head just clipped on, and if, and if uh, you know, you couldn't tension them, so you couldn't learn to tune them. So <laughs> the first drums I got that I could actually tune were uh, just those white Tama rock stars. Oh, yes. Um, and they had the matching steel shell snare drum. I still have the snare drum. That I got back. Uh, some lawyer in your town uh, has the rest of them. He was in. Oh, yeah. He plays in, plays in like grindcore bands or something. Uh, you know, tattoo lawyer in Pittsburgh playing in grindcore <laughs> bands. That's my them. Nice. Um, I remember those snare drums being pretty badass for what they were yeah i mean it was i think it was a six by 14 steel shell and uh pretty loud like and I, I mean i started playing drums to play in hardcore bands so like it was good for that and uh eventually pretty good for funk i i should like probably rehab it a little bit i think i have an s hoop on it now and mostly it sits on the shelf but uh, I mean, one of those will pop up for eighty bucks on Craigslist here and there, and like, I just get it just to have the parts or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, what like, was the first real snare that you got, quote unquote? I think that that rock star counts as that. Like, when I when I initially did school band, they only told you to buy a practice pad, so I didn't I didn't get the Acrolyte like everybody else. Uh-huh. seems to have done um but there was the tama and then i don't i don't know where or what i branched out with after that i may i know i had a like a ludwig 3 by 13 piccolo for a long time but i lost that in katrina i debated that those go for stupid amounts of money right now so i don't mm. i don't know that i'll find any any one of the deal price and what they had those funny square Ludwig Piccolo lugs. Yep. Was um, it a metal shell or maple? Yeah, it was a metal shell. It's like an LM. Oh, what is the number on that? I don't know. They're, they're not super common. Hold on. I, I got to look this up on reverb because this is going to drive me nuts. Was it um, like a black finished? version like a black finish steel or something mm. the no it was just chrome okay um i don't know if that means it was like a wood alloy or what but i don't know and then probably thanks to your peer pressure i just started collecting the things <laughs> not as bad as you but i do probably over 20 when did you get your master's, Pearl Master's kit? Uh, that was like 99. Um, and that came with a matching snare, didn't it? Yeah, I still have that matching snare. Okay. I sold the drums. It's funny, like, it's weird how we're all sort of suckered into marketing. Like, if you told me I needed to buy a 100% maple kit right now, I'd 
I'd laugh at you. you know? <laughs> right. But that was the mid nineties. <laughs> that is what they were pushing at the time, and it's like, see, I can't even find this thing. Does it exist? You got me. Okay. Um, I mean, it had this kind of lugs, but it was a metal shell. It has an LM400 number, but I can't remember which one. Was it um, a black and white badge? What was it? Uh, it was the, the blue and green badge. Okay. I know this still exists. They might even make it. Um, I don't know. That got a lot of use in the 90s before I got the Pearl Kit. And then um, I, I grumbled a lot about that. That Pearl Kit sort of fell apart. Uh like the finish just did not hold up. I remember it got real discolored on the, the outside seams, but, uh, uh, the snare drum got ripped off at some point, but then I found it on Craigslist a couple of years later, like maybe even five years later. And I went over the guy's house. It was like, I'm going to give you a modest reward, but you're giving me that snare drum back right <laughs> now. Um, what's up with all the, the thievery happening in Texas with, with instruments i feel like that's where everyone's getting robbed it it can be pretty bad here um and i don't that got even funnier that particular uh when that walked that was an entire kit like every bit of hardware but the kick and toms were uh like jelly bean fives probably some gold sparkle some silver sparkle but uh those popped up on eBay also like four, five years later. Like I, I never stopped looking for them, obviously, because uh, got a little obsessed. But uh, they popped up on a seller in New Hampshire who I had bought fives parts from. And, Interesting. Uh, the guy straight up would not, like I, I had his real email, and I tried to get in touch with the guy, and I started talking to like drum shops around there like so long story short uh no i can get those back but there are two police reports on that drum set now <laughs> one in one in austin and one in wherever he lives in new hampshire like i didn't quite get to the point of them sending to him his house but it was like all that because i only i wanted the ride symbol back it was like, <laughs> what was it it was the one it was the 21s that was in special dry light, which is one of the better symbols they've ever made. Uh, but that one was particularly perfect. I mean, I, I've since rebought that symbol, obviously. Um, <laughs> but it's like, okay, where'd they go? And I found out like there's, there's pawn shops in Austin that do what they're supposed to do, and there's really sketchy pawn shops. So. You know, they're supposed to look up the serial number when they get it, but uh, there's one chain of pawn shops that was not so not so beholden to the rules, apparently. But uh, mm-hmm. I now have everything insured for list price. So, <laughs> well done. Lesson learned. That's, I mean, I should over. probably do the same. I'm not on the road very often anymore, but... Yeah, it, it crosses my mind every once in a while. A truck full of gear. They seem to be just getting ripped off more and more often these days. It's crazy. 
Yeah, there was a. Well, even I think last summer I had one go down at a. Uh, apparently, there there are thieves going to storage units. So I had like two kids in a storage unit up the road, but it was one of those multi-level ones, and uh, they had gone through the ceiling. The ceiling was not. It wasn't like corrugated metal like the rest of the thing. It was like like a wire fencing. So mm-hmm. like I could have just stepped on it and taken it out. I, in hindsight, obviously, I should have taken a better look. But I posted on Craigslist like uh, if anybody sees this tangerine glass glitter fives kit uh, anywhere, let me know. But within 30 minutes, the backline mental guy I know was like, Somebody uh, two towns over is trying to sell me that kid. He gave me the skinny. Somehow I had them back by Monday. Like that happened. I found it Thursday. I had them back by Monday. That was that was nuts. No oh. one ever gets that lucky. What did you do? Hop in a car and go collect it? I mean, what in the world? Well, it was a, a guy at a, a pawn shop. I guess that's Taylor, Texas. Um, and I... Set up a few texts, and I was like, look, uh, these, these are on a police report in Williamson County. Uh, I can come there and grab these, or I could bring a sheriff with me. What do you want to do? So <laughs> nobody likes talking to Williamson County sheriffs. So he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Just take them. And that was that. Oh, no man. reward, no nothing. But um, Well, dope. That's a crazy way to end the show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Ensure your instruments, <laughs> all of them. All right, now let's get to the shop talk section. This week we are checking out a super rare Gretsch Broadcaster kit that came in to Hawthorne Drum Shop, basically untouched, so we didn't even bother messing with this kit at all. So this is an interesting conversation about you know what happens when an original kit comes in all the you know is it truly original like things we discover and as we go because he had it's the first time chris had really looked at this kit um, all the original heads and all that kind of stuff so super fun here's a vintage gretch broadcaster kit oh my so we have fresh out of someone's attic basement garage not a garage i hope but who knows this is an old gretch kit straight out of someone's house right this is how it arrived yeah so we had a gentleman who called us Sorry. We had a gentleman who called us and he said, hey, my brother passed away years ago. Um, We have this old Gretsch kit with some Zildjian K Istanbul symbols and uh, we're looking to sell it. So I called him back. He brought it in and this is it. He said it hasn't been played since 1958. Wild. Yeah. um, Apparently his brother was in. You want to guess what type of band he was in? 1958? I don't know. I mean, he broke the bottom hoop on the snare drum, so death metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was in a, a very unwell-known band that Mashuga was highly influenced by in the 50s. <laughs> John Coltrane and the Death Pirates. <laughs> I would A bebop band, a swing band, a dance band. I still don't understand how you break a bottom hoop, but we'll get there, I guess polka band a polka band of course from (laughs) pittsburgh i should have guessed polka band he told me the name i can't remember but his brother passed and they've been sitting in their house forever 
Um, so we brought it. Obviously, we bought it. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we figured we'd do something a little bit different with this segment instead of like showing you guys a kit that's like ready to go and demoing it. Like this is kind of how they arrive sometimes. Right. Like you said, the bottom hoop is cracked. Um, and honestly, like I, they're die cast, and I've seen that before. Whatever mm. for whatever reason, die casts tend to crack easier. You think that happened while it was in storage, or did he play it for a while with a big old chunk out of it? I don't know because it's cracked here and it's cracked massively. Cracked. Yeah, very bad. That's not great. And he he has old wiring here Good to gosh. hold on the old Gretsch Responso snares with, which is which is great. And if you watched our last episode, <laughs> you remember that sometimes this is the way that they would muffle drums back in the day. Oh, it's got the same old thing. Yeah. So this has been played since 1958. No one did that in 1958. You know, and that's another thing is like some people will, you know, especially if it's a single owner kit, oftentimes will be like, you've had this single owner kit, bought it, this shop here. And they'd be like, well, what are these holes here? Well, I didn't do that. Okay. Well, what, what's this about? Well, I didn't do that. So I'm not saying people are lying, but sometimes like I mean, 1958, that's 70 years, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but getting back to the kit, these are all stamped to 1953. You can't see the shells anywhere, or the stamps here, but they are broadcaster shells. Um, some of my favorite shells mm. are the broadcaster three ply. Big old three ply. What's the middle of it? Is, is it gum? Uh, or they maple, going? I think. So these are gumwood maple. Okay. Um, they call them maple gum to be short. I actually don't know what the middle ply is. I should, but it looks like it here we are. Gum. But here we are. So <laughs> before we go any further, yeah. like if I saw this for sale, I'd be like, oh my God, this is in terrible shape. There's no way I would see the value in this. So you saw like this is a rare special kit. Yeah. So you, I think what makes it special to me is, um, I mean, there's just not a lot of broadcaster kits out there from mm. the 50s. It's more common to see like a 60s six ply kit. Um, but these preceded the six ply drums, if you didn't know that. Mm -hmm. um, some other cool things is they all, well, other than the snare drum that has an old Weather King Remo, the old crown logo. Oh, yeah. I've seen a few yeah, of those. That's my favorite Remo logo. Um, and they all have, other than the snare drum, original heads. So the, the calf heads on the bass drum and the floor tom are in good shape. Unfortunately, the 13, you know, again, Polk can be pretty hard hitting. <laughs> I think yeah. the dude's son or nephew had a Black Sabbath cover band and wreaked havoc on this kid. Well, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned kids because that's a lot. That's something that we hear a lot is you know we want to pass this on to our kids and you know there was no interest and so I wonder he he did mention some kids if there were some kids playing on this kit. Had to have been. Yeah. That's the bottom, right? That's the badge. Is yeah. So again, I mean, some you know if you don't know what you're doing, you just Set it upside down. Um, internal tone controls there. You can see on that. Um, this is the cool part. So, like, I'm going to try to bring this into the view of the camera. Oh, my gosh. So, this this <laughs> came with the kit. Selling your snake oil with your drums. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, sometimes people will bring in drums and this, you take everything. So, this is an old suitcase. This is where the ghosts are hidden. <laughs> this is honestly sometimes like the best part about getting an old kit. Like, oh, the Gretsch is cool. Let's see what's in. Let's see what goodies are in here. Yeah, what is in here? Holy so, cow. Is that like the original bass drum dampener? It's like a seat cushion. 
I guess. <laughs> so um, we're going to be listing this for 300 on our site. Mm, what's it smell like? <laughs> um, these are the original snare drum heads. Oh, uh, look at that. All the bandages and stuff. Yeah, and they're the, the, it's metal hoop on there too, which is cool. That's the other 13. Uh-huh. You can see this, the great uh, stamp on there. The 14, uh, that's a bag. <laughs> that's another bag. Um, wow. Yeah, some old cowbells in here. I really haven't dug through this, to be honest. This is uh, What is that? Looks like it's a mount. Dampener mount or? So this would go. That's where you put your cowbells on. Yeah. This way, I guess. Yeah, that is amazing. Wood block. I, again, they brought this in, and I just kind of like stuck to it real quick. This is looks like an old hi hat stand. Parts of it. I gotta see that beater on that pedal. This is a. Uh, oh, that's the cymbal arm. Yep. That's, but it's not for a cymbal. What is that? Well, I think I think what happened was we were looking at this. I think. Oh, that's the tilter. Yeah, I think part of this snapped off. Uh huh. So. Fascinating. Got an old mallet. Love it. That looks homemade. <laughs> uh, yeah, nothing great, but it's still kind of cool. Like some of these old timey. That beater, though. That yeah, beater. This is an old uh, piece of metal. <laughs> is that for the spur? I don't know what that's for. Wood block. I'm really wishing that there's like some cooler, like. Oh, wait, there was something. There. Where did that go? Okay, this isn't like a drum thing, but it says Chicago Coin Machine. Okay. So, 1725 Diversity Boulevard. That's, that's where he put his tip money in. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've had a couple like uh, bags that were stamped with like Ludwig back in the day where they put keys and stuff. But that's kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, a couple sticks in here. Not, again, nothing crazy. Oh, here's, here's a... Right. Brushes. Oh, what are those? Oh, my gosh. So there, there was no spurs with the kit. Murders. Those are weapons. Um, and this is one of the original spurs. That sharp thing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to take that, but that's... He put rubber over the rubber. Oh. Yeah. Well, why is it so spiky on the other side? Well, that's... So you can use them to... So some people would... They take the head off, and they would put this in, uh-huh. so that way it can't come out. So that's what happened is like there's no the other spurs not in there, and this is like some homemade a homemade version. Yeah, that's, that looks like a um not a, great a, a, a curtain rod like a literally old curtain yeah rod, yeah. Um, fast like those brushes did they actually um well, the brushes open there. up? Those like brass handled. Oh, let me see here. Weird. Here, let's see if I can get tetanus here on the show. Nope, it does not work. Uh, nope. Oh, look at that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> look at that. <laughs> you know what? They don't make them like they used to, Mike. <laughs> Holy, how did you ever? I mean, granted, 60 years, but what? You know. It's going to go a, through my leg. As a token of our friendship, I'm going to give that to you. <laughs> I could paint a picture with this. <laughs> Old drum key, unbranded. It's, I feel like this segment is just going to be us digging through this pile. <laughs> totally fine. Nothing else good. This big, this big old marching stick. Perfect for polka. Yeah, this is that the, is not from the fifties. That's again, that's the 
That's the son or grandson from the Oh, 70s. it's Ludwig. That's from the 70s or early Ludwig 80s. drum 2S. So, um, yeah, so sometimes like we'll get like goodie boxes and sometimes there's a lot of cool stuff in there and sometimes there's not, but you could empty that one out and put your ventriloquist dummy in there. <laughs> you could put your um, accordion in there. <laughs> you know, you could do that. <laughs> you could you could do that. You um, put your homemade beef jerky in there. I know we're running out of time, but there, there are a couple of things I wanted to point out about this kit. Yeah, right? let's get so back to seriousness here. The knob, this is kind of like a detail here. It's got like a different knob for the Pratt muffler. Mm. Um, this is this rail here. He tapped this and put a screw in to make it stay. And like, this is like gnarled. Oh, yeah. Tech. Again, what a. Bowtile style lugs. Um, make it this out. So this is confusing, though. This, this is the symbol mount. But it's right on the dead center top. Well, it's probably of the for a splash. Ah, I think there's actually a splash mount in there. Uh huh. That's what. Sometimes, it is. like there'll, there'll be another one over here. Yeah. Okay. That's like the traditional place for the. Um, here's the floor tom. I'm trying to show you. Man, those floor tom leg mounts or something yeah, else. Yeah. So. They're cool. Um, that's the way they did them with broadcasters, and I think Steve Maxwell remade these. I've seen them on some stuff. Yeah, they're kind of cool. Um, stick chopper style hoops, which are great as well. Um, I don't think that there are any vents on these either, because mm. Gretsch wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't vent their drums. But Midnight Blue Pearl, it's a great rap. It's they're kind of like Ludwig had Sky Blue Pearl. Slingerland had a light blue pearl, and there's this midnight. It's darker. It's got a bigger flake to it. Um, it's a really cool finish. It looks like it's in good shape. So what what are you going to do to this kit? Probably nothing. I mean, this is one of those kits that it has, like, people will call it patina, but the way it looks is, is part of the quote-unquote story of it. Mm -hmm. So um, it will kind of feel, like, weird to, like, clean it all does that make sense like clean it all up yeah. you know what i mean but we, you put new heads on the broken heads or just leave it all so i'll put i'll probably put calves because i have some other non-branded calf heads in the 13 um the the hoop sucks because i don't have a raw die cast hoop for this yeah so i'll probably just put like an old you know regular die cast hoop on the uh, snare drum but this is a floor show model so a lot of the Gretsch drums from this period were five and a half, or excuse me, five by 14, and those were the name band. But this is six and a half, so. That's pretty special. Get that it's cool, man. Life. I mean, it's got like the double lugs. I like double lugs better than center lugs. Mm -hmm. um, this is the original throw, and this arm would break off a lot on these, which is why they reprodu reproduce the microsensitive throw. Um, really cool kit, man. I, I'm, I was super happy to, to get it and just want to kind of those like happy, you know, <laughs> kind of rare moments you get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So something I learned is that Gretsch three-plus shells didn't have re-rings. I assumed every three-plus shell had re-rings. The early ones did. They so did. The rocket lugs. <sighs> I'm trying to think which one. I've had some that had lugs in it. Also, early... Gretsch 18-inch bass drums were made by Rogers, mm. and they had rings in them. Okay. Um, but I've had them, you know, the, some of the early broadcasters, 40s with the rocket lugs have 
rings, but most okay. didn't. So and they're pretty thick shells. It's kind of interesting. Like, uh, it's pretty close to the same thickness as a regular like six ply shell. Yeah, the it, plies are just thicker. And one thing that I really reason why I like these shells better is that they they take regular heads better. Mm. So you don't have to jam them on. They have a really nice tuning range. I haven't done a comparison with a modern broadcaster, but yeah. Dope. What a special time capsule. This is a, uh, I don't know what music I would want to play on this. Polka. Some, polka. Death polka. <laughs> death polka. <laughs> hey, come see Mike Dawson and the death polkas. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> all right, that's it for this week's episode. If you enjoy this show, please head over to iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. If you don't mind writing a review, that also helps spread the word, gets the show ranking higher so more drummers can find it around the world. Until next week, go listen to some Black Pumas, go buy some vintage drums, and we'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>